Well, we live in a world where almost everything is teaching us and training us and tempting us to be impatient. If you think about it, we have endless streaming options for TV shows and movies. Uh, not only do you not have to watch commercials if you don't want to, um, you don't have to wait for a show to be on. I've tried explaining what that means to my kids recently. I don't know if you've done this, but it's very difficult. What do you mean a show has to be on? Why can't we just pull it up? We have 24-hour news cycles. At any moment, wherever you are, you can find out a million things going on in our world. That is a fairly recent phenomenon. Um, and if you have a smartphone, it, you, know, you can do that anywhere. You don't have to wait for a paper to be printed. We have social media where I imagine thousands of employees are working overtime to keep you constantly distracted and to make it possible so that you never have to wait patiently for anything. So if you have a five second walk to your car, you, you, know, you should pull out your phone and fill up that time with something. If you're, you know, have some business to take care of in the bathroom, get out your phone and, and uh, you know, Use that time wisely, wisely. And our phones go with us, meaning that everything, our work often goes with us. Our, if anyone needs to get a hold of us or we need to get a hold of others, we don't have to wait till we get home. Work doesn't have to wait till Monday. We have grocery stores where we can get pretty much any food we want at any time of the year, produce from around the world, fresh any time of the year. We have fast food. Perhaps the only thing that we have to wait patiently for is the McRib to return. <laughs> we have access to medicine, which is we are thankful for, but medicine to deal with whatever pain and anxiety comes up. We have online church where we don't have to wait to gather with others. We can do it whenever our schedule allows. We can fast forward the parts that don't really do it for us. And then we live within this increasingly culture of outrage where seemingly every issue and disagreement demands our attention right now. And not only is patience not seen as a virtue, it's often seen as evil. Like, you have to do something right now. Sign this petition right now. Get angry now. In so many ways, we are conditioned all over the place, to be impatient. And whenever we actually have a moment where perhaps we could be patient, we just have endless diversions and distractions, apps and games and videos and YouTube and all of this stuff to fill it up so that we don't actually have to learn to be patient. We can just be distracted. We've done a pretty good job, it seems, of eliminating the need to be patient. Now, I'm not saying all of this is bad. It's not. It just is. It's, it's kind of the air we live and breathe, right? Like all of us. We live in this world. It affects us all in ways that we don't realize much of the time. But we are wise to recognize that all of this is working against us learning to be patient, learning to be content, learning to have self-control. You know, all of these things that are the fruit of the Spirit that God calls us to that God produces in us as we rest and rely on Him.
So, we still need patience. We need to learn patience. And that's what we're going to look at today as James begins to wrap up his letter. And he does so with a call for, um, more specifically, patient endurance or steadfastness. So we're in James 5. We're going to start at verse 7. Let me read the full passage, five verses up front here, and then we'll work through them. James 5, verse 7. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it, until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remained steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. So first off, the big idea here, the, the topic at hand, I propose, is patient endurance. Um, twice, James uh, exhorts us to be patient. He, he says, an ex- as an example of suffering and patience, so patience in suffering, take the prophets. We consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You've heard of the steadfastness of Job. And then he also uses this phrase, um, strengthen or establish your hearts. Establish your hearts. This, this phrase in the Greek means to fix firmly in place, to set fast, to strengthen, to prop up. In other words, to stay steadfast, fixed, unmoved as you go through this life. As everything around you is changing and chaotic and you go through ups and downs, life isn't staying steadfast. Everything else isn't staying steadfast, but we are to stay steadfast. Um, We're not to be double-minded and tossed to and fro like the waves, as James talks about earlier. Secondly, notice that this is a specifically Christian kind of patience. This is not just be patient patient because patience is a virtue and it'll do you good. Uh, So, you know, get your act together and commit to being patient. That's true enough, and that has some value, and there's certainly value just in patience in general, but there is more going on here. So look at the reasoning that James gives for why we should be patient. He says, be patient until the coming of the Lord. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. And then he also says, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord in Job's life, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. In other words, steadfastness has a happiness, has a divine blessing, a right favor with God in it. It is good and right for us to wait patiently on God, and not just be patient, but wait patiently on God, because, in part, God is compassionate and merciful. He's good. So to put this neatly together, we should live with patient endurance because of who God is and because of what he has promised. 
to those who love him. I'll say it again. We should live with patient endurance because of who God is and because of what he's promised to those who love him. If we are to be patient as Christians, we have to start by knowing that God is worth trusting, that his character is good, that he's compassionate, rich in mercy, gentle and lowly, that he takes delight in all who come to him, that he protects all who come to him. And we also have to know that his promises about the future are true. We have to cling to God having a blessed hope in store for his people. Endless joy, satisfaction, sweet contentment, no more tears, death, mourning, no more evil, no more temptations to evil. So, as I said, even within our church, there is a lot of need for patient endurance in these days. We have a lot going on across the, the board. Um, but whatever life looks like, whatever life, whatever you are going through and experiencing right now, begin by trusting in who God is and what he has promised. Just like as James gives the example of a farmer, a farmer begins to, to till the ground and sow seeds uh, before those seeds can actually grow before the rain comes, and, but he knows that the rain is coming, and so he works in advance. And perhaps he is mocked by those who don't know the cycle of, of the rain. Like, why are you doing this in the winter? Nothing's going to grow in the winter. Likewise, so the children of God continue on in, in faithfulness, in diligence, in love and obedience through all of life because they have seen, they have known the character of God and the promises of God. And others may mock them. Others who don't know, haven't witnessed, haven't experienced the character and the faithfulness and the goodness of God may mock and say, it's not worth it. But we are to continue on clinging to what God has promised. And so, again, patience, endurance of this kind is not simply just getting through hard times, just grinning and bearing it. It's not distracting ourselves, numbing ourselves. Elsewhere, God calls us to be always alert and ready, right? Um, distractions, or drunkenness, as the Bible often calls it, both literal and figuratively, might numb us to the hardships of life, might make it easier at times to get through things, but they don't prepare us, they don't teach us to be patient, they don't draw us near to God, they don't help us live with hope and expectation. Patient endurance for Christians is confidence that reality is not fully determined by what we are going through right now. The reality is not determined fully by what we see, feel, or experience right now. The Lord is returning. He is the judge, meaning he will set all things right. He will bring perfect justice. And the same Lord is also compassionate and gracious, um, welcoming all with joy who come to him. Now, this call for patient endurance comes at the end of James for a reason. 
And that is because it is the answer to many of the the situations, the trials, the difficulties that James has been discussing with his audience. James commands patience as an answer to the trials that they are facing, which are very similar to the trials that we face. So particularly, two trials that all Christians face that we see James touching on. First off, we need patience because of the evil and oppression and suffering that, and persecution that comes at us from the outside. This is the immediate context here. If you go back just to the verses prior to this, um, they were about believers being treated unjustly and taken advantage of by the, the ungodly rich. As Hans read earlier, we live in a world that is groaning under evil and injustice and godlessness. It's everywhere in this world. You know, there is an inc- it seems like there is an increasing amount of willingness to completely uproot lives and move, um, move our families, move to different churches, move to different schools, move to different states, and there are certainly good reasons to do that and a place for that. But we should not think that we can, by doing these things, escape the groaning of injustice and evil and suffering in the world. There's nowhere you can go on this planet and find heaven. You will continually come up against the groaning and frustration of evil. If you go a little earlier in James, he says things like, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Notice that he doesn't say, blessed is the man who was always running from trials and never has to actually go through them. Or, blessed is the man who just ignores trials by endless distractions and diversions. No, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. And then he actually begins his letter by saying, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. So there is great value in learning steadfastness through trials. God wants to teach us these things. Secondly, the kind of context for this command, patience is particularly needed, not just because of sin and evil out there, but because of temptations to sin within ourselves and among ourselves. James has touched on this a number of times in his letter. Um, So here in in this passage, you perhaps might find it interesting, in the middle of this, he says, do not grumble. Verse 9, do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. But this makes sense if you think about it. When we do not trust God, when we are not patiently waiting on God and confident in His goodness and presence and provision, we begin to take it out on others. We think that we must take control of our lives, that no one's watching out for us, that no one has our good in mind. And so others become hindrances, others become burdens, pawns to be used for our own ends because we have to look out for ourselves. This is apparently happening among the believers in 
that James is writing to, and he, and he tells them, he warns them, yes, the judge will come, and he will bring justice to those evildoers, those oppressors over you, but be careful that you don't become just like them and treat one another like that. So, if we want to learn to love our brothers and sisters in Christ well, we should begin by resting in, trusting, waiting patiently on God, trusting that He has our good in mind. On the other hand, if we want to sow division and harm among our brothers and sisters in Christ, we can take our life and all of the frustrations and trials and suffering in our own hands and think that it's all on us to solve them, to deal with them, become bitter and selfish, constantly crying out, woe is me, life is unfair, I deserve better than this. Again, the, the answer that James gives to this is a specifically Christian answer, meaning it's not just be patient, it's not just love one another, it's begin with an active and ongoing faith in God that He is good, that He will bring a good end to everything, rest and find contentment in Him, and then let that flow out into every aspect of your lives. And James is clear that this is something we will have to do as long as we are on this earth, until the coming of the Lord. As long as we are living life in community with other believers, which we are called to do, there will be a need for patient endurance. There will be temptations to grumble, to withdraw from others, to be selfish and bitter. Likewise, as long as there is evil out there in the world, there will be a need for patient endurance. Uh, we will not escape, again, the, the groaning and frustration and wickedness in the world. And whenever we come up face-to-face -face with it, it's an opportunity, it's a trial for God to teach us patience and steadfastness. Now, I want to draw out two specific applications from all of this for our moment from our point in time, cultural moment right now. So two applications. The first is the need for patient endurance in our questioning and doubts. There is a tendency in our day to value authenticity and honesty, good things, but to value them over steadfastness. And so Walking away from your faith, as long as you are being authentic and honest, is often celebrated and, and respected. You're being your true self. You see this in the increasing number of people deconstructing their faith with no constructing to follow. Now, part of the problem with this is that the church has not always done a good job of allowing space for honest wrestling and asking questions and not just getting quick, easy answers. The church has not allowed space and taught biblical lament like many of the Psalms do, that we, we can cry out with our questions and our doubts, our fears, even 
anger to God. We can come honestly to Him in faith. However, idolizing and celebrating authenticity, even if it leads to apostasy and walking away from the faith, is not the answer. There's nothing virtuous about honesty and authenticity if they lead to apostasy. There is if they lead to wrestling and and becoming stronger and strengthening your faith. And and so as we do those things, as we question and, and wonder and wrestle with God, we need to let steadfastness and patient endurance guide us and undergird us. And I hope in our church that we provide a context where we can do those things. A second specific application for patient endurance is simply the chaos in our world and the suffering in our world right now, in our community, and in our church. And this is pretty obvious, right? I mean, there's an obvious need for patient endurance. Again, just within our own church in the last month and, and continuing, there's been a lot of suffering, a lot of sickness, a lot of life decisions, a lot of unknown about the future, questions. All of you are probably dealing with much more stress and anxiety, perhaps even depression, than you were used to at work, at school, at home. And then all of this leads us to ask questions. Perhaps you don't put it into words, but we ask, God, what are you doing? Like, if, if you know all the answers to that, I'm all ears. Like, what are you doing, God? Where are you? What is all the purpose of all of this? And on top of all of that, there seems to be an increasing amount of division within the church. And to many, the church has a bad name. Many seem to be turned off from the church and perhaps from God. And it can seem that the things that matter most, the, the identities and the differences that matter most, are, are political and ideological rather than whether you belong to Christ or not. Why does God allow all of this? Well, it's easy to only see all of this and to be overwhelmed, and to beat down. And it's easy to feel that distractions and diversions are the only answer, offer true comfort, are the only hope. Just ignore it, just become apathetic, find a new show to binge watch, a new app to distract you. But God calls us and invites us to be patient until the coming of the Lord, which has not happened yet. So it's still a need. Be patient until the coming of the Lord. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Um, think about Job, James says. If there was anyone who had a right to give up on God, you'd think it'd be someone like Job. Job, uh, from God's hand, had everything taken away from him, was overcome with sores that tormented his body. He lost his possessions, his health, his family. 
And James says about this, he says, You have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. In other words, even in the midst of intense suffering and trials that Job experienced, that God allowed, God's purpose was compassion and mercy. In the end, if you go read the story, God's purpose was compassion and mercy. If Job would have let his circumstances, his pain, fully interpret and determine God and reality, he would have been wrong. He would have gotten it wrong. God didn't cease to be good in that moment. God proved in the end that he was still good throughout all of it. But there is, of course, an even greater foundation for God's character and promises. Being true and being good. And that is Jesus. In Jesus, God willingly entered into our suffering and sin. He took on himself the evil and injustice in the world, including yours and my sin. His death was the most unjust death. And so God knows our situation. He knows our pain and suffering, our groaning and frustration, not simply because he's all-knowing and he looks down and he sees it, but because he experienced it. He took our sin and suffering on himself, willingly, out of love for us. And so this is the ultimate grounds and the thing that keeps us confident that God is good and that God will keep his word, that God's promises are sure. And this is the ultimate grounds for living with patient endurance until the coming of the Lord. Let's pray.